Blog Talk Radio. This is Cale Brown. Now, I didn't play a doctor on TV, but I will prescribe Brandon's buzz for absolutely anybody who wants to know what's really going on. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. This is Taylor Dane, and you are listening to the one and only Brandon Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. This is Linda Dano. I'm on Brandon's Buzz, and I have to tell you, what a fun hour I just had. Ah. This is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Martin from the band Mr. Big. I'm live and kicking on Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Dave Romero, and you're going to love buzzing with Brandon's Buzz. Hey guys, welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon. It's Tuesday, June 8th, 2010, 10 p.m. out east, 7 p.m. back in the west, and the buzz is back on the air with a big, big show. A bit later on in this episode, I've got a great conversation on tap with Henry Mazza and Greg McLennan, a fantastic pair of local guys who add a peculiar brand of spice to the pop cultural nightlife here in Austin, Texas. But right now, my first guest tonight is one of the most iconic and revered musicians in the entire history of rock and roll. His landmark 1977 album, Bad Out of Hell, has sold an astonishing 40 million copies worldwide and continues to stand as one of the most influential rock recordings ever produced. He's just released his 11th studio album, a compelling concept piece called Hang Cool Teddy Bear, and he stopped by the buzz tonight to tell us all about it. I am a huge fan of this guy, and it is a spectacular thrill to welcome to Brandon's Buzz tonight, the electrifying, extraordinary Meatloaf. Hi, Brandon. Hello, Meatloaf. How are you? I'm good, Brandon. How are you? I'm doing very well. I have to tell you something. I'm a Texas boy myself, and this is a great thrill. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. Oh, well, thank you so much. Where are you? Where do you live, Brandon? I live in Austin, Texas. I was just in Austin. You're kidding me. Nope. I was in Austin about, yeah, about 10 days ago. Wow. Well, I tell you what, I started this podcast a year and a half ago, and I started with a list of 25 names that I wanted to bring onto this show, and your name was on it, and this is this is really a great well, show for me, so I really well, appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that. So let's get right into it here. You know, Hang Cool Teddy Bear is the new album, and I've heard you say in previous interviews that it might be, in some ways, the most important album of your entire career. Tell me why. I, well, not only is it one of the most important, I, I think it's one of the best. I'm emotionally attached to this thing. It's an unbelievable record. I mean, it truly is, and it's kind of, it's kind of being hidden at the moment in the United States, and, and that's really a drag. You know, you've got you've got Rob Cavallo behind this thing, and he's one of the most renowned record producers in the history of music. And you know, in your career, you've worked with some of the best producers ever. Where do you rank Rob in that lineup? Oh, I've never worked with a better producer in my entire life than Rob Cavallo, because he. Basically, when we started, he just said to me, I'm not making a Rob Cavallo record, I'm making a Meatloaf record. All you got to do is go listen to his records. You go, let's just take a real simple one, an easy one, Phil Spector. When Phil Spector produced something, you knew it was a Phil Spector production. <laughs> because it, 
it had this whole signature about it. It had Absolutely. Bill Spector Wall of Sound. It had this whole thing. Listen sure. to the Righteous Brothers. Listen to this. It's Spector. You listen to the thing that he did with Lennon. It's Spector. You go and there's producers around that you can hear it. Oh, the guy, I can't remember, his, the guy that did Kiss in the 70s. You knew that was his kind of record. Well, uh, listen Rob, to Steinman. If you, I mean, listen you, to you know Dahl. you're listening to a Steinman record. Exactly right. Yeah. When you when you hear a Steinman record, although really <laughs> where the influence came from Bat of the Hell as far as the production comes from, that really didn't come from Jimmy. I mean, yeah, Jimmy had really had ideas, and so did I, about how we were going to go and the direction we were going. But who brought that to life was Rundgren. And that sound of those backgrounds, that's Rundgren. I mean, all you got to do is listen, listen, go back and listen to Utopia records or the <laughs> records that he did before. That's a signature sound of Todd Rundgren, those background vocals. So they became this whole signature on Bad Out of Hell. Jimmy then a kind of adapted from what he learned from Todd and put that into him. So, yes, when you hear Steinman record, you know it's Jim Steinman. But when you hear Rob Cavallo record, you don't necessarily know that that's Rob Cavallo because they're so different and so varied, and he just goes along with the artist. It's like from Goo Goo Dolls to Green Day to Fleetwood Mac to me to Chemical Romance to Paramore to Dave Matthews. It's just going down the line, and they all sound like Dave Matthews, Fleetwood Mac, Paramore. Meatloaf. Yeah, now, where we where we varied the sound, it sounds like Meatloaf because it's dramatic. You hear my voice. I love story songs. They're long. They're inventive. They're all of the things. But what they are not and what they never tried to be, and which I've read a few reviews which said, oh, they were just trying to copy Jim Steinman, that was the last thing we were doing. Not In at all. fact, every day. I would say, no, we're not going that direction. And we didn't. And anybody who would ever say that we were copying Jim Steinman <laughs> hasn't listened to the record, hasn't listened to Jim Steinman's songs. They don't know what they're talking about. They're musically illiterate. And they just ramble for the, you know, it's like, I'm a critic. The critics just kind of, and we did not too bad on this record, but I'm somebody critics love to pick on. Sure. And so, and I'll be perfectly honest, if you two had done this record, Hank Cole, Teddy Bear, it would have been the second coming. <laughs> and I honestly believe that. <laughs> I'm not just hyping this up or saying anything. Uh -huh. I honestly believe, because you two and those kind of bands are critics' darlings. Coldplay could have never thought of doing this record. But if you two had done this, especially that song, Peace on Earth, Oh, my Lord, the flag waving and the cannons going off and the confetti poured over you, too, would have been amazing. <laughs> so tell me how you and Cavallo hooked up. I just, I played, I went to his house. He thought we were just coming over. He was just going to meet me. I mean, he knew that I was interested in producing, but he didn't know he was going to make a decision that day. He thought, <laughs> well, I'll meet him. You know, it's, it, it, you know sure. he just been, he'd done Kid Rock for Ken Levitan and... Irving and so <laughs> I went in I went in he he'd never seen anybody like me and he honestly admits that have you ever worked with anybody be like me there is no one like you he says and I went in guns a blazing I I went in and and I played him 
like a rose, Los Angeles loser. And then I played him a track. <laughs> this is funny. I played him a track from the Goo Goo Dolls that I knew that he didn't produce. And it was a great song. And I played it for him. And I, I said, you know, I would love to cover this Goo Goo Dolls song. I didn't really want to, but I just did this. I said, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was a hit. And he goes, oh, I didn't produce that one. I said, oh, oh. <laughs> so from those three things, he agreed within about 20 minutes to produce wow. the record. Wow. And believe me, he doesn't do that because I sat with him over there at his house for a good seven, six months. And nobody, people came in all the time in the <laughs> afternoon. You know, we would be doing stuff, but he would have these meetings because that's what he does with people wanting him to produce. And he never said yes to anybody. Wow. And he would come back, oh, they didn't have anything. Oh, they didn't do anything. And I had him in, in easily 15 minutes. And, you know, the record is so good. And, the, and everybody, and we skewed it to a younger demographic. And um, I'm very frustrated with the record company at the moment. I'm really frustrated with them here in America just because they keep saying, I said, I did a record skewed to to a younger demographic. I realize you want to hit the older demographic because they're the people who bought records before. But <laughs> some of them are dead. <laughs> I mean, nothing personal, but some of them are dead. And, we, you know, you want to keep your audience moving. It's like a conveyor belt. And, um, you know, they just keep saying, oh, we don't know how to do that. I'm going, oh, my Lord, help me out. So anyway, there you go. You know, uh, uh, let's talk about that. I mean, you know, because of the very segmented, screwed up way that we as a public consume and process music in this day and age, did that at all change the way that you that you made this album or, or what your mindset was, as you said, about creating it? Well, I tell you what, I'm glad I made this record because I, I just, if I never make another record, at least I've made something that I think is absolutely beyond spectacular. Damn right. And... Yeah, I mean, it re uh, Billy Joel said a long time ago he didn't want to make any more records than, what, a good 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And he just said it's just too screwed up. And I'm kind of in the same way, you know. It's like Kid Rock has turned to country. <laughs> so I love that. He's gone from hip-hop rap to country. That's that's a quite a quite a move. But, he, you know, he, he's a smart kid. So um, I just i am at a total loss. I don't get it. I don't understand the business at all anymore. You, you kind of answered this already, but I want to ask you if there was ever a temptation by you or anyone else involved to tie this record in with the Bat franchise, or did you always want to no, make this a I separate mean, No, because it's not, wouldn't be, first of all, it's not fair to Jim, because he, there is nothing on here other than me and the fact that there's a story involved and story songs that are like Jim. And... I'm going back to the question, going back to the thing about anybody who says there is, is an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and lyrically, Jimmy writes lyrically is very strong, and there's no doubt about it. But the people on this record are lyrically just as strong, just another genre. And that's the thing that's going on. It's another genre of another style. And because I pick story songs and because they're epic pieces, some of them, some of them aren't, they just go, oh, it's this. And I'm not sure how many, I think the critics who gave us good reviews, 
actually listen to the record, listen to the entire Peace on Earth. I think the ones that didn't, I don't think they've ever heard Peace on Earth completely through. I, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I think they're lazy and they didn't listen. How is Jim doing? Have you talked to him lately? I have. I have. He's, uh, you know, he was a little bit ill, and I think he, you know, it's, he's going to be okay. Well, I have to tell you that one of my favorite tracks on Teddy Bear is is a song called If I Can't Have You, which is kind of a quasi-duet with Cara Diaguardi. And you know what? That's the closest to a Steinman song there is, but still, again, it's not. But If I Can't Have You is fantastic. I mean, that great that is such a... That is such a weird track. Sometimes it felt like we were in the early 70s. It felt like an English Led Zeppelin who jam session kind of Yardbirds kind of thing. Sure. And even I got into it and stayed late, you know, like till 2 o'clock in the morning, people just playing and getting into it. And that track was born from that kind of thing. It started as one song, and then we just went around it and around it and around it. It became something else. And then... It was such a great track, we needed lyrics. So Rob saw Cara, and Cara came out, and, you know, she was out like four or five times writing and singing, and and then American Idol had actually started their thing, and so we went to her once to finish the vocals. So, You know, I'm, I'm not sure people realize it from watching her on Idol, but this woman is one hell of a songwriter and one hell of a vocalist. Yeah, I mean, she had, uh, I guess, co-wrote a song with Carrie Underwood on that Ameri- uh, that final, and I went, oh, that's a that's a that's a big hit. Got to be a Absolutely. big hit from Carrie Underwood. Talk to me about working with her. Oh well, Cara's, you know, she's. I've never seen anybody so quick in my life on how, and she's the only one because this because it is the album is about a soldier who's dying whose life flashes forward, but I didn't tell anybody any of the writers. <laughs> She's the only one that figured it out because she. I kept trying to move her in a direction. He goes, okay, just tell me what you're doing here. She kind of got annoyed because she figured out that something was going on that she wasn't uh, privy to. And she goes, just tell me what you're doing. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. She goes, no, something's going on that I don't know about here. And, and so it was, it was kind of funny and Rob was giggling. And, you know, the American Idol people and Fox people, there was nobody communicating with them that Hugh Laurie was actually playing piano. And the president of Fox only found that like eight days before the final of American Idol. And he goes, why didn't anybody tell us? Yeah. I'm going, I thought somebody did. So Isn't that funny? You know, I just have to tell you before we wrap up that you'll never convince me that Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through isn't one of the 50 best songs in the history of music. We're going on tour this summer, and that's one of our – I love that song. So – I can tell you that's in the show. I can tell you what else is in the show. 
And I was going to keep it a secret, but I'm I'm going to tell. If you're a Rocky Horror fan and people, the Rocky Horror people, if they ever wanted to see me sing Hot Patootie, this is it. <laughs> I'm doing it in the show. Fantastic. Well, I tell you what, this was this was really a great thrill for me. And before I let you go, could I get you to do a promo for my show? Sure. As long as it includes the words Meatloaf and Brandon's Buzz, anything else you say is totally up to you. Okay. Hi, this is Meatloaf. This is Brandon's Buzz. Brandon, rock em. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much, Meatloaf. You can cut it any way you want. Thank you very much. I wish okay. you the best of luck with this album and with your tour. And Thanks I look very forward to seeing you again, sir. Okay, bye-bye. The absolutely extraordinary Meatloaf on Brandon's Buzz, everybody. Brandon's Buzz continues in just one moment with Greg and Henry. Hang tight, everybody. Welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. You know, I have listeners from all over the world, and I'm not sure how many of you are going to care about this next bit because its flavor is extremely local. But here in Austin, Texas, we have a franchise of establishments called the Alamo Draft House, which is an amazing, fun-as-hell movie theater with a twist. Instead of ushers, there are waiters. And instead of having to settle for, you know, popcorn and stale junior mints, you can get an entire meal brought right to your table. Pizza, burgers, sandwiches, entrees, terrific desserts alongside a fabulous array of beer and spirits. Another thing that separates Alamo from your typical run-of-the-mill multiplex is something they call the Action Pack. It's a weekly series of themed sing-alongs and of cult movie quote-alongs and uh, this type of thing. You know, if you've attended one of these, you certainly know why they have passed into legend around these parts. And if you haven't, the guys who created and maintain the Action Pack have come by the buzz this evening to tell you why the Alamo needs to be your first and primary destination on your next visit to Austin, Texas. You know, I've never formally met these guys, but having been to a good two dozen sing-alongs or better, all of them hosted by these guys, I feel like we're old friends, and I'm thrilled beyond measure to introduce you to Action Pack auteurs Greg McLennan and Henry Mazza. How's it going? Hey, hey. <laughs> How you guys doing? Humbles. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, just so we all land on the same page with this, can you guys explain exa exactly what you do as curators of the Action Pack and, and as part of the Alamo team? So, I mean, the first step of putting shows together, uh, we, do, we do a series of quote-alongs pretty much every Thursday at 7 where we take uh, those movies like you were talking about, kind of stuff like we're doing Princess Bride right now. Uh, we're doing Dumb and Dumber, Anchorman after that, and we take the movie and we subtitle a bunch of our favorite lines uh, karaoke style. So it actually like, shows up white and then highlights in yellow. And uh, that process is in itself 
um, long and involved. Fortunately, uh, we were able to bring Greg in full time, so he is the one having to do all of that, fortunately for me. Um, Fun. I get to watch the movies a good 20 times before we ever go up on the show, so it's always really, really fresh in my mind. So by the time it actually airs on the screen, you're, you're probably sick of it. Uh, you'd say that, but I mean, I've seen Princess Bride so many times, and then we rebuilt that show on Blu-ray for this series of it. Uh-huh. And you'd think you get tired of it, and at, when you're at the end of the subtitling, you're like, well, I'm pretty much done with watching Princess Bride for a while. And then you see it with an audience, and we hand out props to people, so everybody's waving their swords, and everybody's just 100% behind uh, the movie. And it just pulls you completely right back into it. Like everybody always says, like they have like this like magical fun experience, and I feel like I still have that every single time that I do it. Yeah, every audience is different too. So like, there's always a fun surprise when somebody, like an entire crowd for some reason, pulls out this one line that we hadn't subtitled, or it's really really excited about a, something that happens during the intro. So even though you're rewatching the same movie, you're really kind of like, by the time you're doing the show, it feels more like you're enjoying the audience and, and their enjoyment of it and kind of being part of that whole group experience, which is really, I mean, what the quote-alongs and sing-alongs are all about. Um, the sing-along shows are really just a collection of music videos with subtitles on it, and whenever somebody hears about that for the first time, we're like, why am I going to pay money to go sit in a movie exactly. theater and pay money for beer? To, uh, yeah, it's like I can get drunk on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> But it's about that. It's not about like, well, because our screen is bigger or the speakers are bigger. It's because, well, because other people are going to be there also. And, yeah, if you can fit 175 people into your apartment and watch YouTube, I highly recommend that you do that. It's really fun. Yeah, like I don't want to go to a concert because I have the CD, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Every every single show is an experience and no experience is ever the same. So it's it's just like getting to share that with everybody is what's fun. It's funny because the the energy in the theater is so electrifying just because of the – the crowd almost collectively becomes one one force, you know, aiming toward the screen, and it's it's really fun being a part of that. Yeah, and it's just fun for us. It's church for me. It really is. <laughs> it's like we stand up and we sing hymns together. I think that that's why people do that in real church. Like, I'm not even kidding. I've been an atheist for years and years, and then I was at one of those shows. I was like, oh, this is why people do that every Sunday. <laughs> and, it, you know, it, it's very funny that you say every audience is different because I've been to a couple of the sing-alongs at The Village, and it's a it's a completely different energy. It's a completely different experience. Yeah, and it's also because, like, a bunch of those people haven't been to – there's more new people at the village because we don't do it up there as, as frequently. Mm-hmm. And what's really fun and crazy, there's been a few times where uh, we've taken shows into other cities. Uh, we had a relationship with the Coolidge Corner Theater in Boston for a while. Uh, we have a part, action-packed partner in Seattle that does some uh, sing-alongs and things at the Central Cinema you know, here in Austin, even before the sing-alongs and the quote-alongs, people were kind of used to, oh, the Alamo Draft House, that's where zany alternative programming happens. Sure, yeah. But you go up to a place where they're like, here's where we go to just watch Paper Heart. And then suddenly they have this kind of, even with the Princess Bride experience, before you even get into the, like, Love Bites kind of sing-alongs, everybody's like, what? <laughs> and then when you go into a Love Bites sing-along, people are like, we have to go as crazy as we possibly can right now. <laughs> And they don't even serve alcohol in those theaters. And still, like, it's just like when you have that completely new audience, it's it's pretty fun. Yeah, though, like, the Alamo Village, it's like those people don't necessarily know what it is because they've never been to one, where whenever exactly, you come yeah. to the Ritz, there's always those, like, devoted group of people that just come and they know, they're like, I can't wait till I can get on stage and do something, or, like, I can't <laughs> wait to, like, belt out as loud as I can. And yep. it's kind of like a, a touch-and-go process, but 
the village, like, it's been, like, a reserve crowd of late 20s, early 30s, like, sometimes parents. And then by the end of the show, like, Henry's seen dudes with their shirts off on each other's shoulders. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw a baby get made one time at the uh, the village whenever we did Jiggy Crunk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I joked before, and I was like, we are not leaving the theater until somebody is pregnant. And somebody took that very literally, and they were just uh, definitely oh R. Kelly pump and grind. And God. <laughs> <laughs> they were dancing real close. Real close. <laughs> So do you guys have day jobs as well, or is this it? Well, this, I, is, uh, full, this is full-time. Wow. And yeah, it's, uh, it is, it, it's a lot of, like I said, just, I mean, like the digital creation of the shows is a lot, and then sure. securing all of the props, writing out intros, planning out the next step, maintaining the website part of just the Alamo stuff for the action-packed shows. And I'm creative director for the Alamo also, so that's why it's been really helpful that we were able to finally get the action pack to the point where we could bring Greg in full-time, too, because I've got to do a whole bunch of other stuff. And, yeah. it, and, and it was killing me to work 40 hours a week and then put in all the extra time for the Alamo where I was not sleeping. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. How it was, was like a year of my life. Those Friday mornings. And how did you get these jobs? How, how, did this, how did this come into your life? Well, I started as a runner and waiter for the theater and then started creating a couple of uh, other kinds of shows while I was a waiter. The first one was open screen night, which was sort of like an open mic night for filmmakers where people could just bring in a DVD and we would play it no matter what, which resulted in some really interesting nights where porn ended up on screen because I didn't pre-screen anything at all. Uh, but we also had a gong so we could get that crap off of the screen. But that kind of led to a bunch of other experimental shows. And then eventually Tim League, the owner, offered me a full-time position as doing promotions and production of stuff. And I did that for a few years before kind of stumbling on the sing-along and quote-along concept. We did the Buffy, the Vampire Slayer sing-along a couple of times, and we did a Michael Jackson parties, and then kind of just built from there. And then I was doing them every week and trying to do those and also do shows at the Village, and we opened up the Highball, and we're just doing a lot of other projects. And um, used to have another partner, uh, Owen Edgerton, who does, who does stuff with the Master Pancake guy sometimes as a sing-along partner, and then uh, he got into the world of writing screenplays and got kind of busy. So I was hosting solo for a while and then missed having a co-host and missed having somebody else that could handle the show if I had to be out of town or something because it was like, oh, now I have action-packed shows three or four nights a week and I yeah. have a full-time job. Uh, and then Greg and I randomly met each other in the pre-screening party during South by Southwest for the uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall premiere. And Greg had met Tim at one point or something and just walked up and sat at the table with us. And then we started talking and we sat next to each other there and we ran into each other at parties that whole time. And he is really good at going up to random people and immediately starting conversations, I guess because that was his old job. Greg didn't realize this, but I kind of thought he did. I was I was out actually actively headhunting uh, for a co-host. Um, it was like going to improv show, stand-up comedy, trying to find somebody like that. But the style of hosting that I try to do at the Alamo, whether it's a new release movie or an action-packed show or anything, is much less showy and much less like, hey, everybody. <laughs> and even though I found a lot of performers that I like, I was like, ah, it's not the right fit for, for what I'm doing. And so then Greg thought that we were just becoming friends for a year. And, yeah, I would literally invite him to go on, like, tubing trips with me and my friends and be like, hey, do you want to go karaoke tonight? And Henry's like, yeah. And uh, I always thought we were just having a good time, but apparently he was taking notes and had a watchful eye turned to me, and he invested 12 months in 
courting me. And then I was like, hey, we're really good friends. And then, like, one day after, like, I'd known him for a year and I just thought we, like, hanging out and we were buddies, he was like, hey, do you want to come up on stage and see how it goes and, like, host a show with me? And I was just, like, dumbfounded. I was just like, wait, 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 you want me to do that? I was like, that's crazy. And he was like, he's like, yeah, I think you can do it. And if you're terrible at it, I'll fire you, and we can just go back to being friends. Which I think basically saying he was just going to make his peace with investing 12 months in the wrong place. I go like, I'll give you the consolation of 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 my friendship. That wasn't even uh, like contract at first, was it? It was, hey, I kind of need somebody to come on up, and I'll pay you. A couple of bucks. Yeah, and give yeah. Me a no, dinner. it was it was literally like a, he's like you can have free dinner if you're uh, willing to do this. And I was just yeah. like, I love Alamo Draft House Pizza, so I will show up. And then my first show ever was Moulin Rouge, and I walked on stage. Everybody goes crazy at the Moulin Rouge sing along, and like I uh, Henry told me like we get kind of dressed up sometimes, so I dressed up as Christian. It was like this big swooping like hug of like an audience, and I was just like, I love this. This is fun. And then from then on, I was just like, I really want to lose this extra gig on the side because it's so much fun. It's just like getting to be there and experiencing that with everybody. It's just like, I wasn't necessarily addicted to the attention. It was just like addicted to like putting it out there. But then like as, as, it, as it progressed, like Henry would be like, all right, we'll keep hosting shows. And so I started doing it every week. And then uh, I would start having like a random idea for something or I'd be like, hey, you should, maybe we could do this like with props or we, like we could think of stuff like that. And then Henry started like really being open to incorporating some of my ideas, or I would have a terrible idea, and he goes, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so then I did a contract for a year, and then uh, and then I, I got to offer a full-time position. Because we, we started adding shows. We added, like, the Hecklevision show, sure. and then the Action Pack Theater show, where we do uh, live explosions all the way through action movies that we love. So uh, how, was, how was the Action Pack born? Can you talk about that? I mean, was it something that was always part of the plan, or, or was it a, a, hey, wouldn't it be fun if kind of thing? Well, each show was kind of born by itself with the Wouldn't It Be Fun If. The sing-along started with Buffy and then Moulin Rouge and then Michael Jackson. And then after Michael Jackson, I was like, hey, wait a second. Cause I, I, it was a huge breakthrough when I was like, we could just do music videos. We don't have to just do movies because I always thought this was a movie theater, but this is the whatever the hell we want to put on the screen theater. Absolutely. And so then that led to like Ladies of the 80s and Love Bites and everything else. And then uh, the quote-along idea came to me while Caitlin and I were cutting together the uh, trailers for, we were just going to show Princess Bride. We had booked the film. And then I was like, okay, we'll cut a trailer for it. And like, I don't know, just pull out some of those key lines of dialogue, put in that, my name's Inigo Montoya, blah, blah, blah. And then I watched the trailer. And I was like, oh, man. And everybody was like saying it out loud just in the regular <laughs> theater before, before. And I was like, we should, we should make this into like a, a quote along. It'll be like a sing along, except people just say the lines out. And then I was like, this will probably not work and be a horrible idea. And it crazy sold out, and everybody was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. Wow. And then when Greg came on, Greg really likes the explosions and confetti cannons. You know, and <laughs> They're like, awesome. We need to just, love them. just do explosions. Like, we don't even need to make it a quote along or sing along. We just need an explode-a-vision. And I was like, well, that's, that's not the name yet. I don't think he actually said that, but it would be funny if he had. <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it, was a, it was an explosion along, but we, we, uh, we like – we painstakingly like tried to think of like a cool name for it that would make people really want to like go out because like the album has like the girly night where they have like the girly nights and then there was always the sing-alongs and the quote-alongs and then uh, we used or Henry yeah, yeah that was action, where we hit up with action he had like action pack as a placeholder 
And we were like, all right, well, we kind of like that, but then we can, like, put everything under Action Pack so people know that it's, like, what we're doing. That, and that was the big part. Like, I kind of wanted that because uh, everybody in town knows the Master Pancake Theater and knows what that is and what it's going to be. And before, it felt like my job was program and do this, and I would introduce just a random 80s movie, but now more and more of the shows that I'm doing are the same ones that Greg is going to be there for, and they're all interactive a little bit. And that was, it wasn't until, like, last November that we were that we said, okay, let's make it the action pack. And then we'll have action pack theater with explosions. We'll have heckle vision. We'll have uh, quote-alongs and sing-alongs. And at first, I always thought that the action pack was me, Greg, and Caitlin. And then we did shows, and people knew that. And now, with Clinton McClung doing them in Seattle and uh, George Bragdon having done them in uh, Boston also, I was like, you know what? I think the action pack is actually this pack of shows. Of course. And then I was like, it's so obvious. <laughs> so that's we'll see what the next now I want to make it like the action six pack Greg so we need to come up with two more awesome series I guess <laughs> and the action pack is now bigger than us it's self, it's, it's self aware <laughs> was, there, was there a template for this kind of thing elsewhere in the country I mean you know I know that there have been midnight showings of Rocky Horror for years and years but you know this idea of quarter longs and sing-alongs is something else altogether is this something that that is happening elsewhere or, or did you guys just kind of feel your way through it and, and learn as you went well there are there are other People doing sing-alongs of like there's been a, there's an actual film print of uh, Grease sing-along and Sound of Music and uh, the Buffy one that was the first non-Rocky one that we did here was actually Clinton's idea because he was just a huge Buffy fan and they had the Sound of Music come through at the coolest corner theater in Boston and then all of the kind of indie theaters are, are pretty good friends and talk to each other so they. He was like, hey, I did this show, and it worked out really well. And I was a Buffy fan, and I was like, oh, I, I want to do that show. And then I was the one that after that show. I was like, whoa, what other things could I sing along to? That was really, really fun. But there are – oh, the other thing is there are other people now that have done it. If any of the listeners are in Tucson, Arizona, the loft does nothing but copy us. Don't think that they come up with their ideas themselves. They actively look at our calendar and then say, oh, I wonder what, uh, I wonder what Henry and Greg are doing. Wow. And they pretend like they're doing it themselves. They have an open screen night ripoff. Uh, where that they follow follows the exact same rules that I use. Basically, if you live in Tucson and you aren't like dating somebody that works for the Loft, go meet them, start dating them just to break their heart, and then punch them on the way out. For <laughs> <laughs> not being part of the actual action pack, that would be awesome if they came up with a uh, better name than the action pack for their shows. <laughs> and then we can steal it. <laughs> but but uh, I'll tell you what nobody else is doing. Nobody else is doing explosions, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Why? Because it's, why it's so dangerous. <laughs> Do the waiters at the Alamo shoot you guys dirty looks every time they see you? Because, you know, the cleanup after one of these shows must just be immense. They hate it, they hate it, yeah. At this point, we have, uh, we have after-hours cleaners that come in and do, like, a really thorough job uh, at the end of the night on, on our show night. But that didn't happen in the beginning. And, yeah, the, they, they were, there was a lot of, uh, oh, jeez. But at the same time, they understand that they are working for tips and the sure. show's that are big and fun are the ones that are attracting people that are spending money and then tipping them well, and we're always really sure to uh, make that announcement. I mean, I started as a waiter, and I had to clean up after other people's <laughs> stuff. And so there's, there are things that I will never do, like Silly String, because we did a show back when I was a waiter, and people, like just uh, Satan's cheerleaders ran up and down the aisle with Silly String just themselves. Oh I was like, are you? Uh. It was everywhere. <laughs> that took forever. I think one of the worst ones was for 40-Year-Old Virgin. We gave everybody balloons. Uh, and by balloons, I mean uh, unlubricated condoms. 
and uh, you had to you had to inflate them. You could bubble them around the theater. You and like then you all pop them like on like a, a cue in the movie, and we had a sing along right afterwards. So like I'm walking through setting up for the next show, and like the wait staff is just staring at me because there's like burst condoms on seats and on the floor. I'm like I'm really sorry, guys. <laughs> I mean, I, I can I can imagine they must just hate you. It's funny because the Ritz, like, they just kind of think it's a day, like it's their Thursday, and they're just like, well, this is how it is. And up at the village, like, I'll give them the same like apologetic look, and then uh-huh. like thank them excessively after a show because I know that like they're 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 cleaning up and like they had to navigate glow sticks being thrown in the air, confetti raining down on them while like they're trying to like do their job. But up at the village, like people get off their shift and then come into that theater and stand in the back and dance and sing because they're so excited to have, like, an original programming and they're not showing, you know, like, Shrek forever. Is there a way to measure what has been the most popular action pack event? I mean, the most popular sing-along, for example, or the most popular quote-along? Is there, is there a way to measure that? There are ones that consistently sell out every year. and it's I mean, like, how many of those can we get away with while still having them sell out in one run? And Michael Jackson stuff was definitely high up on that list. Ladies of the 80s is high up on the list. And the Princess Bride and Labyrinth are uh, huge on the uh, quote along. Moulin Rouge, you have to buy that ticket well in advance. And it's it's crazy from the first night to the last night. And then Justin Timberlake is like the show that we do. And then like four months later, people go, when are you guys doing Justin Timberlake again? I'm like, really? <laughs> All right. You guys want to do it again. You mentioned Michael. I so hated that I was not able to go to the impromptu Michael Jackson sing-alongs that you guys did last summer. In yeah, the, we, in we did like eight of them. In the immediate wake. No, but the happened. day, the day that he, yeah, the day that he died, it was, I was like, I had plans that night, and then Twitter was exploding, and everybody that I knew was texting me because we also uh, did the the local thriller through the world dance. Mm-hmm. We organized that in Austin and kind of did it bigger than anybody else up until Mexico City. So everybody was like, I, I was the Michael Jackson guy in town, so everybody was texting me, and I was like, oh, crap, bomb. And it was like, what, 5.30 or something? And I was just like, we, I need a theater, and I need it at midnight, and I need yeah. to, I don't know which, how do we, okay, Greg, go get props. I'm going to work on figuring out this. And uh, that was probably my favorite uh, sing-along night, other than the, the sad fact that we had lost Michael, of course, but like being able to uh, share that with that group of uh, yeah, it was, People like, when we were all sort of feeling like, the emotion. Yeah. Like, later we kept doing it, and, and it was like then that emotion was lost on us, and it became a show again. But that first night, it was just like, that was like a church memorial service. Absolutely. You but, know, the energy of these of these sing-alongs, it's, it's electrifying anyway, but under those circumstances, I can imagine it was at another level that night. Well, it yeah, was just like, 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 we went up there, and like, our intro was not like jumping up on stage, like excited to be there. It was just like, we shared like, each really personal story about like loving Michael Jackson and like what it like what like what made us like first turn on to it. Like I shared like how like I taught myself to dance in my apartment while listening to uh Michael Jackson. And like we just kinda like just threw like a big chunk of ourselves up there and then like Henry was just like, but like if Michael Jackson was here he'd be like, I want you guys to have a good time. Then people were just like sweat dancing, like pouring and everything in their hearts straight into their feet and it was just like an amazing, amazing night. So you know, I don't mean for this to sound like a like a crass question or a naive one, but you know, it's clear how hard you guys work coming up with fun, unique events for the Alamo and for the Action Pack. And, and you know, every time I'm there, the place is packed to the gills. How hard do you guys have to fight taking for granted the fact that people are going to show up regardless of what's happening? I mean, are you guys constantly and continually kind of reevaluating what works, what doesn't, what gets a big reaction, what doesn't? 
I mean, one of sometimes you don't get to do stuff that you really want to do because it's not going to get a crowd out. We did an old-school hip-hop show that was, like, all classic, early, amazing stuff. Booked out the theater for three weeks in a row. Took the time to subtitle all those videos. And subtitling old rap videos is so much harder than subtitling new pop. They rap so fast. Literally eight people in the oh theater. Oh, my God. Now, me and those eight people had a great time, but it was like, oh, crap, this... <laughs> This didn't pay for the time that I spent on, on this. Yeah. Uh, and we have to do this two more times? Uh, uh, crap. And sometimes there'll be particular songs that we try to put into a show. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes they just don't work. Audience members will be angry. <laughs> yeah, like people are like, why would you put that song in the show? You know that my girlfriend broke up with me to it, or I think that is the worst written song of all time. And so, like, you kind of, you kind of try and gauge a percentage of how many people like vehemently hated something and then how much people liked it and then sometimes you just got to scrap a song even if you thought it went really, really well and like you just have to stay loose with it and never really attach yourself entirely to a show and know that it's always an evolution. Do you guys ever ever consider taking a chance on some more exotic sing-alongs? I mean, you know, my partner has repeatedly told me he would love to see an opera sing-along or a Broadway musical sing-along. Uh, yeah, I, I, we actually uh, brought that up uh, whenever we were because we were, we're trying to plan farther out, and uh, we were talking about doing like a movie musical sing along where we get uh, kind of like how we did the Glee sing along, where it's just we got rid of the silliness of the show and went straight to like whatever like what I love about the show and just got like music and then put it together in a way that felt cohesive, and kind of doing the same thing with musicals where like we jump from you know like singing in the rain to like Chicago to like Mamma Mia. Where you get to like experience like the highs and lows of like wonderful moments like all like back to back to back with all of your favorite stuff. Absolutely. Uh, but an opera sing along, I don't necessarily know if I want to be inside uh, of a theater with 200 <laughs> strong trying to nail opera because we have the Queen sing along next month. And while Freddie Mercury is probably the most dynamic and wonderful yeah. performer that I've ever witnessed ever, hearing the band drop out and Freddie Mercury wail is like listening to God talk to you, but listening to 200 people trying to do that voice is A, <laughs> awesome, but B, a little grating, and I can only imagine what opera would be like. <laughs> you know, my, my favorite sing-along was the 90s alternative one that you guys did a couple summers ago with Pearl Jam and Counting Crows and Beck and Blind Melon, and I'm ready for that one to pop up again in the rotation, so if we could get on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're, it has been a while, so we're trying to do more We do need to do the alternative one again, I just don't know. Because the other thing that we kind of look at is how recently we just did something and there's some shows that come up every year and then there's some where it's like there's a part of me that feels like we're just kind of waiting until we have a catalog of 30 shows and they'll be like okay now we can uh, keep rotating those because we've hit everything that's perfect yep. and then occasionally when somebody comes up with something new we will say okay let's do that I'm still trying to figure out a way to do like the sort of new alt rock show I don't know if it would go over well but getting in that like MDMT kind of indie electro stuff gotcha a lot of the other thing is that you have to have a little bit of a, as much as you can't have too much of a cheese factor, like the fray or Hoobastink, you have to have that, like, it does feel like you have to have, like, a little bit of it, of the, oh, I remember that, and it can't just be the, yeah, I was actually just listening to this in my car, uh, this is, this is, on. Um, you guys found my iPod playlist and you're playing it? Um, I would have a good time with that show, but that might just be because I've now heard every uh, song by a woman artist from the 1980s that was popular on the radio like 70 billion times. <laughs> but that's where we, we uh, play with that too because we do those uh, the dance parties at the highball every couple yeah. of weeks where we do the same kind of stuff and use music videos but don't subtitle them. That's a lot easier to kind of experiment with like, oh, people hate this song. I had no idea. 
So I, I recently had a chance to check out the Gold Class Cinema that just opened here in town. And, and for those who don't know what this is, it's basically a more upscale version of what the Alamo brought to the movie-going experience. I mean, movie tickets are, are 30 bucks a pop, give or take. The seats are roomy, comfy recliners. You get a pillow and a blanket if you like. You know, the menu is strictly five-star. Are, are you guys concerned about the increased competition, or are you taking it in stride here? I mean, it's a little bit of a bummer when somebody comes in to – it's been really fun that if you wanted to have a beer and watch a movie, you had to do it at the Alamo. But – I haven't been up there yet. I, I do plan on it. From what I've heard, the, the menu is five-star, but the food is maybe three and a half. Granted, you could say, like, no, it was actually the best food I've ever had anywhere. <laughs> but uh, I think that, one, it's fun to have, and that actually is kind of fun to have competition because it made us be like, okay, well, what is it that sets us apart? And, like, it's going to make us focus on making sure that we do things better. But it feels like to me, you know, that's a, that's a – fun treat place. It's where you take a first date when you want to impress them and say that you can afford to spend 30 bucks on a movie. And and it's a good place to take a first date because if you try to hold their hand and they're not comfortable with it, it's kind of impossible for you to because there's a huge aisle of table and stuff in between you. Whereas, yeah, and like so that and that's going to be like the once or twice a year, like, let's really go out and, and do it up at the, at the movies and, like, make it big. <laughs> and then the Alamo is going to be the, let's go there five times a week still. It's the once you're, once you're on the third or fourth date because our armrests all come up and so you can get cuddly, which is so much more important than, like, having multiple layers in your moose or whatever. The food, I mean, I think our food is great at the Alamo also. And, uh, and we're... It made us kind of really think about what we are, and I realized that we're not the – we do fancy feasts also, and, and we do it, I think, really well. But primarily, we're concerned with making sure the entire movie-going experience is fun. And where there's a lot of other people opening up, some of them large like Gold Class, some of them small like what the Alamo used to be, most people are focusing on the like, ah, look how comfortable our seats are. And at a certain point, a seat can only get so comfortable. And yeah. if you recline and have a pillow and a blanket, just stay at home. What are you doing? <laughs> it comes back to the sense of, like, it's about sharing that experience with the crowd. And that's exactly. true whether it's a sing-along and having a crowd is better than watching YouTube videos by yourself. Or if it's Iron Man 2, then that's why it's more fun to go on opening weekend than to wait three weeks and go on a Monday night at any theater because you get that whole, like, oh, ah, and, of course, we do, like, the themed pre-shows, and uh, we've actually been upping that game now uh, also because we have uh, Greg here full-time. So he and I go out and kind of shoot silly little videos that we'll put up before some of the big blockbusters. Greg hosted every uh, primetime showing of Iron Man at the Ritz. I hosted in a, every primetime in an showing of Yeah, in an Iron Man costume with Cairo and... Uh, <laughs> And like those are those are really little things, and and part of it is just because we are addicted to attention, no matter how much we try to pretend like we are. <laughs> and explosive, but yeah, and explosive. <laughs> but at the same time, like I think those little things are what create a personal connection to the theater for everybody. And I think that having a personal connection to the theater and a place where you really feel like you're at home and it's fun and let's hang out is more important than having the cushiest seat ever, because our seats are also really comfortable, even uh, so it's it's fine. Also, the gold class doesn't have people in the theater at all times watching for people talk, so you can pay $30, have really expensive food, and still have some jerks next to you ruin the entire movie, yes. which, if I was really concerned about the competition, I would just go there every night and talk, and then everybody would be like, man, this is a, it's a horrible experience. 
except that I realized somebody would then recognize me and they'd be like, man, those Alamo guys really talk a lot during movies. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? <laughs> that that would be really, really expensive for you to have to go to every screening. <laughs> I, put it, I put it on a company card, though, so it'd be yeah. fine. <laughs> so summer movie season is upon us. What are you guys looking most forward to catching this season? I'm looking forward to making Greg wear a dress and run in high heels for the Sex and the City free show. <laughs> And I'm looking forward to wearing a dress myself and running faster than him in high heels. I, uh, I'm really glad that, that idea got thrown out right now. I'm looking forward to Inception so I can wear a suit and go, welcome to Inception, everybody. I'm not going to make a fool of myself right now. <laughs> I'll find a way to make you make a fool of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Iron Man was the biggest one that I was looking forward to, but there's... Uh, Really, it is. I have been just thinking about the, ooh, what could we do for a silly video for that? And I'm trying to put together a uh, scavenger uh, driving scav uh, road rally for the A-team where everybody has to drive a van because that yep. would just be awesome. I think we're going to try to do a uh, our first ever new release action-packed theater when The Expendables comes out. So there'll be a explode-along version of that one night, and Jason Statham is in that, so that's obviously the best movie of the summer, because Jason Statham is the finest actor our world has ever known. <laughs> I can't wait for Crank 3. How do you guys regard something like Avatar? I mean, you know, I heard more than one person in the past five months say that Avatar may represent the same kind of, of tectonic shift in movie making and in movie going that Talkies once did in replacing silent films. I mean, is that... Is that overselling the farm a little bit, or, or is there something to the idea that, that the sky is the limit again when it comes to creating these, these cinematic worlds? Uh, it's overselling it for me. <laughs> I don't know about him. I mean, the, the, the style of 3D and the way that Cameron used 3D and having it be like an immersive experience rather than it popping out at you, we're going to shoot an arrow at you experience, was pretty great. But what we've seen so far has still been Clash of the Titans stuff, which I went up and saw in 2D because I was like, I don't know, that's just seems silly and when I've watched a couple of minutes of it I was like this is silly and it actually kind of does hurt my eyes but there was that Ebert essay about why he hates 3D that came out a couple of weeks ago and I think this is too soon and I think I, I, I disagree with Ebert I think that it is it's certainly a gimmick right now but as it continues I think that that gimmick could become just like a color and it is kind of a an, an extra layer that you get to use and play with when you want to and you don't have to all the time I think that the uh it's the studios that charge more for the tickets. Some people think, sure. like the Ebert SA said, that it was movie theaters. Like, well, no, we have to pay for these projectors, so it's three extra dollars. And it's not. It's just the studios being like, hey, give us extra money, movie theaters. Yeah. And so the movie theaters are like, well, crap, we have to charge a couple of extra dollars then. And that part, I mean, from the theater creative director standpoint, I think is very shrewd marketing on the movie's part. And they're just like, hey, uh, you know, now movies cost $15. And it's like, well, how about you just make all movies cost $15 then and make people will bitch for a while and then we'll be able to just like have all movies be the same. Because yep. that part seems silly, where it's like, should I pay an extra $4 to see it in 3D? Uh, when they just kind of track, talk, talk, talk it in there? Um, no, you shouldn't. But should filmmakers continue to try to expand that? And is it awesome that James Cameron is sending a 3D camera to Mars? Yeah, that's super awesome. That will be a lot of fun. I will go watch that in the IMAX. But they should also like write stronger and more original movies than Avatar for the next one. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it's probably just it's more of a crutch now and like people go like, well yeah, this movie's not the best movie in the world, but check out how three D it is. <laughs> and like it it comes to a point where like yeah, like it's a stepping stone towards integration where like 
yeah, you'll stop wearing glasses eventually, and then, like, that movie will just pop off the screen at you. And I guess I look more forward to that, whereas I feel like 3D now is just, I don't necessarily always want to wear glasses. So I'll be like, I'll just, I'll go check that out in 2D. Because <laughs> it's neat, but for two hours, it, 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 it wears out on me. And then you stop even thinking that it's in 3D. And just like the weight, the weight of plastic on your ears is a problem, Greg? Yes. Why, why are glasses so uncomfortable? You wear glasses. <laughs> oh, my glasses. I can't take this anymore. So much <laughs> plastic on my ear during an entire movie. You've got to be kidding. Like, if it's done well, it doesn't give you that brain hurt. Like, Class of the Titans brain hurt, and Avatar didn't. And if they decide to make the Avengers movie in actual Cameron 3D, that would be awesome. <laughs> and preferably make it better than the Uma Thurman, Ray Fiennes stab at it from, what, 12 years ago, 13 years ago? Well, I mean, yeah. that was the 60s thing. <laughs> So what's on the horizon for the action pack this summer? I mean, I know we've got Queen coming up and Justin Timberlake. Anything else you want to reveal about what's coming up? We're doing the movie musical one later in the summer. Okay. Uh, I think we're doing a Goonies quote along. Yeah, I think Goonies are coming up. There's so many that without looking at the calendar in front of me, I'm like, I don't know, awesome stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been pushing for a Beyonce sing-along because if Justin and Michael have one, like Beyonce has collaborated with enough people to where that would just be like a full-on dance party in the theater. Not to mention yeah, all the Destiny Child stuff from years ago. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like, like Justin, like we can go back to NSYNC and then sure. we can jump up like his collaborations, and then like Justin's got like two records by himself, and I'm like Beyonce's got all that too, so that could be a definitely fun show. Just because sometimes I feel like dancing at a show, and so sometimes shows get programmed in order to like fulfill like <laughs> personal agendas, and just hope that like I'm like you guys are all my friends, right? Remember when we talked about us all being friends? Please come to the show. Well, I tell you what, no matter what's on the calendar, you must check out these guys whenever you're in town. The Alamo Draft House, it's, it's the Ritz, it's downtown, it's right on 6th Street, right in the middle of the action, and it is a must-land destination for anybody coming to the city and anybody who lives in this city. And I've had such a great time there over the years, and I've had such a great time talking to you guys today about how it all gets put together. Yeah, and if, uh, if anybody ever has like a great idea or there's something that they just really, really, really want to do, like you can always like Twitter at us, Facebook at us, we're really, really accessible, and you can just tell us what you want to see. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Before I let you guys go, would you do a promo for my show? Sure. As long as it includes the words Action Pack and Alamo and your names and Brandon's Buzz, whatever you say is totally up to you. How's it going? I'm Greg. What's up? My name's Henry with Alamo Draft House and the Action Pack. We are here buzzing with Brandon, Brandon's Buzz. Greg, you got to say something else. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm Greg. That's Henry. This is Brandon's Buzz. <laughs> you already said I'm Greg. Man. I did. But I felt like you really dragged it out too long. <laughs> uh, we fight like this on stage all the time. <laughs> Dude, why would you ask Greg to do this? Greg, say something in Canadian. I say the words story, a boat, and tomorrow funny. And Greg, being... just say, hey, we've been buzzing with Brandon. <laughs> I don't like where this conversation's turning. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, guys, I thank you so, so much for coming in here and giving me a little bit of your time, and, and uh, I, I really look forward to seeing what happens this summer at the Alamo, and, and uh, I, I thank you guys so much. Yeah, definitely say hi next time you're out. Thanks for coming. Absolutely, we will do. See you. Awesome. Greg McLennan and Henry Mozick, guys, the Alamo Draft House's Action Pack guys. Again, if you're ever in the Austin, Texas area, you need to check out the Alamo Draft House. It is an experience unlike any other, and I thank those guys for stopping by here. Thank you to Meatloaf once again. Uh, what a great show. Thanks to everybody for listening. I tell you what, if you're already listening, you know how to find the show, no doubt. But in case you don't know how to find it, here it is, three places online. 
blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. That's kind of mission control for the show. It really is home base. You can listen to the show from there. You can download previous episodes of the show from there. You can leave comments there. You can send emails. It truly is home base for Brandon's Buzz. Again, it's blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. You can also find me at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. There at the top of any page at brandonsbuzz.com is a blue button marked radio. You click that button. That takes you to a full and complete radio archive of every episode of this show. This is episode number 62. This one and all previous 61 are available in the radio archive at brandonsbuzz.com. And again, just click on the blue radio button at the top of any page there. It takes you to the archive. You can listen to every single show, every single episode of this show uh, from there. It's brandonsbuzz.com. You can also find me on iTunes. I'm on iTunes, guys, right next to Meatloaf. Just type in Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Scroll down to the podcast section. Click on my Puzzle Piece logo. That takes you to a page where you can download individual old episodes of this show as podcasts for playback on the device of your choosing. Or you can subscribe to the show and have new episodes automatically download to your library the minute they're uploaded to the music store. So I'm all over the Internet. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on iTunes. I'm Brandon's Buzz on all three of those places. Google the words Brandon's Buzz, and I swear to you, something will pop up that points you in my direction. And I appreciate you guys coming in my direction. I appreciate you guys finding me and listening to me and listening to this show. And I hope you continue finding and listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind. So spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This is Claire Massey from Tammy Show, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy, great show. Check hey it out. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. So if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it. Better when you live on a street of dreams. Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon Buzz, the place to be. Hi, everybody. This is Nicholas Walker. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt. <laughs> 